Are you ready to have a deep, abiding relationship, no matter the circumstances, with your King? Man, we're in a series here called Abide. Remember, all year long, we're going to be walking through what it is to have a John 15 life with our God. And this first series is about abiding with Him. Last week, we looked at the invitation from Him as He calls us to come to Him, the privilege that we can have to be with Him. And in this invitation for us to be able to grasp all that He is, now we get to see a little bit more of that unfold. We're walking through the seven different follow me statements in the Gospel of John. And so today we're going to hit the second follow me statement statement as we see Jesus making clear that he is the light of the world and that we're invited to follow the one who has the answer for all of this brokenness, right? So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. John 8, starting in verse 12. And uh, we're going to dive into the second follow me here in this series as we take a look at Jesus. Point number one. Follow Jesus, the light of the world. Follow Jesus, the light of the world. Man, if we're going to abide, we have to know who we're abiding with. If we're going to spend time drawing life from him, who is he? He is the light of the world. And we're going to see that unfold in this passage. So here we go. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It says again, Jesus spoke to them. And every time we jump into a passage, you got to make sure you know a little bit of the context. So we're in John 8, 12. If you look back into John chapter 7 and 8, you get a little better context of what's going on. In fact, the disciples had all rallied together. They were at the Feast of Tabernacles, or also called the Feast of Booths, right? And so there's three major feasts each year for the Jewish calendar. There's a major feast in the spring, the Feast of Passover. There's a major feast in the summer that's a harvest feast, right? And it's actually what became Pentecost at that moment. And so there's this feast celebration there. And then there's a feast in the fall, and that's the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast that looks back to how God answered when they were wandering in the wilderness, how God was with them. God is with me. That's the hope statement. God is with me. Everybody just say, God is with me. That's the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's like, man, God is with us even when we're wandering in the desert, God tabernacling with us. And in fact, more than just looking back to the Old Testament, it's looking forward to a hope that we have that the Messiah Savior will tabernacle with us forever. It's also a looking forward to heaven eternal and Christ ruling as King, us with Him. God with us, right? And so the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration of Messiah future and also a celebration of some of what happened in the wilderness past. They are gathering together to celebrate God with me. Don't lose that. That is a huge point as we start to look at this passage. It says again, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Why is that a big deal? 
Well, one of the ways that they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles is they ended up taking this giant lampstand, what would call the menorah, if you will, and they would put it out in the middle of the kind of huge open court. There were several courts. There was the temple. There was a court just outside of it, actually called the court of the women. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. And so this, this light or lampstand was put in the court of the women. It was an area that all of the Jewish people could come to, and there was a lot of teaching that took place there. And this massive light was put up, and it was beaming day and night. It would be lit for the entire eight days of the Feast of Tabernacles. There was a huge celebration of the lampstand, of the light, and it represented God as the light. Can you imagine Jesus, the ultimate teacher, right, as he's walking along and he sees the vines and he says, I am the true vine. Well, now you've got the lampstand in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles, God with us. And he says, I am the light of the world. Know this, we are celebrating God with you. God is with you. I am the light of the world and I am right here with you. This is a thunderous statement. Don't think they didn't catch it. As the light is flickering, he's like, I am the light of the world. And they're like, Hey, I get it. I see what he's doing as we celebrate the light and the lampstand. And Jesus, I am the light of the world. Notice he says, I am the light. Everybody say the. There is one. He's not like, I am a light of the world. Everybody say, not that. No. I am the light of the world. Know this. Jesus Christ is absolutely clear. He is the way, the hope, the truth. It is only him. It is Jesus alone. That is a massive, thunderous statement to a world that is trying to teach whatever you want. Just whatever you want, whichever way you want to go. And Christ is like, no, there is one way, me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. This thunderous statement of hope in him. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Man, if you follow Jesus, if you are walking with him, if you are drawing life from him, if you are abiding in him, if you are grasping what he's about and you are going along the journey with him, if your life mirrors who Christ is, if you follow him, let's say it this way, if you are saved, everybody say saved. Saved. If you follow him, you will not walk in darkness. Man, there's a moment where we will grasp all that Jesus is. We will understand the sin I need to let go of, and we will go more after him, and then more after him, and then more after him. It doesn't mean that if you're saved, you're perfect. It means if you're saved, you get the call, and you know what you need to let go of, and you go more and more after it, and God transforms one degree of glory at a time. He's like, if you follow me, man, I'm going to call you out of darkness and into light. Darkness, the opposite of light, right? Jesus, he is the light. He is pure holiness. Jesus never sinned. He was never wrong. He never made a mistake. How would you like to have him as your brother? Right? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Right? 
Jesus never made a mistake growing up, never made an error along the way. Jesus, absolute holiness. And on the other side, darkness and sin and selfishness. Man, this world is teaching that sin and selfishness is where it should be. Don't miss it. This world is beginning to cry out that if you call something sin, that's hate speech. Be careful. You know the God of the universe. He is the way. He is the light of the world. And what Jesus says goes. Ready? And to all of God's people said, dude, that is not a small deal. And we do call sin what Christ calls sin. Please hear me. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a savior. All of us. Everybody say all of us. So the point isn't about the sin. The point is, no, duh, of course we have sin. It's time to get rid of it. God's in charge. Man, this method of the world right now is to try to take all authority away from God and put all authority into the feelings of each person. Down with that plan. Jesus is the light of the world. And all of God's people said, he said, and those who follow me will not walk in darkness. You will absolutely take a stand with your Savior. And uh, you will absolutely go after it. He is the way. Just so you know, the world will call that intolerance. We call that worship. We call that seeing God for who he is. He is the king of the universe. May we celebrate him with all we've got. He says... If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. If we are saved, if we are following him, if we are trusting in him, the light of life, the light, holiness, hope, purity of life. This word life there is the word zoe, eternal life. And eternal life comes in knowing Jesus as your savior and being able to count on him in the journey. Man, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the love. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is absolutely the one and only way to eternal life, heaven. God, get all the glory. May he be lifted up. Do you know this, Savior? Are you following him with all you've got? You know, this past week I had somebody send me uh, a couple of notes from a book they were reading from uh, just a phenomenal author. And, and here's one of the quotes. He says, a soul filled with large thoughts of the vine of Jesus, a soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will flourish. And that's what abiding is, to contemplate the greatness of Jesus, to have large thoughts of him. Ready? Here's the other side. A soul filled with large thoughts of the branch, all about me, will fade. And be careful that you spend your time worshiping your God. Large thoughts of your Savior, not large thoughts of yourself. May we focus on the vine, not on the branch. May we focus on the light, not on the darkness. May we focus on his way, not my way. May God get all the glory. He says, so the Pharisees said to him, 
<laughs> okay, this is where we're supposed to recognize this is going to be some serious conflict. So the Pharisees said to him, and uh, the proper response is, uh-oh. Okay, so give it to me. So the Pharisees said to him, uh-oh. all right, you're starting to catch where we go. Here we go. So let's get a running start. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, all right, now we got it. We're seeing the way it's going, right? This is going to be a turn. The Pharisees are going after the challenge. They said, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. All right, so you know they made a fatal flaw right there. The reality is they're quoting from some Old Testament scripture. There's some scripture that says you need two witnesses, right? And they're like, you're just talking about yourself. So it's not true. Well, in fact, that's not what Old Testament scripture says. What Old Testament scripture says is there has to be two witnesses. They're quoting out from Deuteronomy. There has to be two witnesses, but they flipped it. And now they're saying, if you say it, it's not true. Well, that's ridiculous. Why can't somebody have an anchor on the truth about it, about himself, about what's going on? And also there's witnesses, right? They're like, you're talking about yourself. So it's not true. They're trying to tear him down and trying to challenge for the multiple witnesses. And Jesus says to them, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Everybody say, duh. Are you getting it? He's like, no, boys. If I say it and it's true, it's true. There may be witnesses you want to find too. We'll talk about the two witness problem. But just so we're super clear, what I'm telling you, it's true. The Pharisees are trying to get away from it at every possible turn they can. Jesus has just said, I'm the way. They know what he just got done saying. I'm the Messiah. I'm the hope. I'm the one that all of Old Testament prophecy has been pointing to. I'm the one that's going to change the world forever. And they're beginning to challenge him. Jesus says, uh, yeah, well, my testimony is true. He says, for I know where I came from and I know where I am going, right? Imagine if somebody said to you, hey, what town do you live in? And you tell them the town. You know, I say, well, I live in Morton, right? And they're like, that's not true. You need two witnesses. Like, well, we can find witnesses, brother, but it's true. I live in Morton, right? Like, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, this is ridiculous. You're trying to counter it because of a lack of witness at the moment. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. They're looking at Jesus and they're like, no. Yeah, I'm thinking the Messiah is going to be massive in authority and power. I'm thinking maybe monstrous in his leadership. I'm looking for a guy who's going to be impressive as a ruler and a king. And you're not that. You're really not impressing me too much at all. In fact, if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, it says a little bit about what Jesus the Messiah would look like. It says, no form or majesty that we should look at him. Like, dude, he ain't all that. Jesus actually was a less than impressive physical specimen. Like if you saw Jesus, you wouldn't say, now that's a pretty guy. That's a good looking guy. I could see that guy being in charge of things and not that. How would you like to have something recorded in all of scripture 
that you do not have any former majesty worth looking at. Right? This is Jesus. This is what he's talking about. No form or majesty. No beauty that we should desire him. Yeah, dude, he isn't that much to look at. But what comes out of his soul is absolute perfection. And the miracles performed in this broken world will stun you. And the power and the authority and the glory and the, the nature of God right there with him in a less than impressive package rocking this world. That's who Jesus Christ is. Yeah, he's from Nazareth. And that's what they saw. Yeah, he's a carpenter and that's what they saw. Yeah, he apparently didn't have the height or the physique that they wanted to see and that's what they saw. Jesus is like, just so you know, I don't work that way. I don't measure the outside. I look for what's going on on the inside. He said, by the way, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Like he's starting to begin to talk about two witnesses, and we'll get more into the two witnesses. He's like, just so we're clear, if I do take a stand, it's right. I don't make mistakes. I speak with all authority. I am the light of the world, and I am the hope. Come to me. Draw life from me. Don't resist. Don't miss. This is who I am, Jesus Christ. You know, this past week was turned into such a nice week, didn't it? Man, I love these temps. This is just phenomenal. And uh, my wife and I were able to go on a walk together and just kind of enjoy the breeze and, and uh, we're talking. And it's just, it's amazing to be walking around in these kind of temps after you've had the 90s, right? It just feels phenomenal. So uplifting. And as we're walking along, I remembered we got back to the house. There's a bush in front of our house off to the side. Last year, we decided we were done with it. So I like cut it off. Like it was over, cut it down. That bush decided to try to come back, right? It was attached to some vine underneath in the ground and it, it started to grow back and actually looked kind of healthy until like the three weeks of, you know, desert heat that scorched this place a couple weeks back. And with that heat torching down this branches and whatnot just sort of faded down and turned yellow. It looks really horrid right now in front of our house, off to the side behind some bushes. So we're not actively pursuing changing that at the moment, but that's the way we roll with our landscape, right? So those of you who are landscapers are like, do something, right? So what I didn't do, I didn't walk up to it and say, branches, cling better to the vine. What's the matter with you? Don't start blaming the branch for not being connected well enough, right? Here's the reality. It's connected to a vine that's barely got any depth in the roots and it has nothing to deliver. And so it's fading down and turning yellow. Just so you know, when we tend to fade, it's not because we're not abiding in Jesus or clinging to Jesus. That's the wrong way to say it. It's because we're clinging to something and it's the wrong vine. It's delivering less than what we need. And we're beginning to fade down. 
We start grabbing onto things in this world and there's these superficial vines barely under the surface that can't provide anything we need when the heat and the scorch of this life hits. Man, we need to be attached into Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Here's the simple question. So who are you clinging to? Who are you connected into? Or what are you connected into? Maybe you've even put a, an inanimate object or possessions as the thing. And that's what you're holding on to. And if I can just amass this amount of wealth, then if I can get this title, then. And be careful. What we cling to is what feeds. And if what we cling to is weak and anemic, we will fade. We are called to the one who is called the light of the world. Do you know this God? Are you leaning in with the light of the world? Are you drawing life from him? Or is there something else you need to be setting down? A distraction that's more important. And it's time for this week to be about, Lord, I'm ready to worship you with all I've got. And all of God's people said. Point number two, trust. Trust the testimony of Jesus and the Father. Trust the testimony of Jesus and the Father. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Now he says, in your law. And there's actually a lot of discussion about this. Some will say, I think it's because he's about ready to set down Old Testament and set up New Testament. He's about ready to become the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, complete. And so now it's about this new role with Christ as the center. And maybe it is that. I have a feeling, though, it's a little different than that. I think that he's saying, listen... You're opening up the law and you're reading it, but you're missing the spirit of the law. In fact, you're beginning to quote it to your own benefit. The actual quote says, two witnesses to guarantee a truth so that somebody can't just lie about somebody. That's what it says. You've changed it to, if I say anything about myself, it's automatically untrue. That is not the, that's your law. That is not my law. That is not the law. That is your twisted interpretation of something, and it's a mess. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. He's like, let me requote what it actually says, and let's get off of your complete miss in the process. And you are missing the spirit of it, and you're missing the point of it. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. Everybody say one. He's like, I am one that bears witness about myself. And then he says, oh yeah, and one more thing. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Everybody say, that's two. When did the Father bear witness? Well, at the least, at the baptism of Jesus Christ. I mean, you heard us say we're going to have baptisms uh, in a couple of weeks here. And man, can't wait to get after it. If you have trusted Christ and you haven't taken a stand, man, get after this baptism. Time to stand with your God and announce that you're following him. But in the midst of that baptism, the father made a statement thunderously that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like there is a massive statement. He's like, there is a witness, me, and there is another, the father. You have two witnesses, boys. Your law has been met and you're making a mistake. Now get on it. 
He's calling them to a faith in him. He said, they said to him, therefore, well, then where is your father? Where is your father? You got to picture these guys acting like they're in charge and Jesus is schooling them. He's like, where is your father? Now, some will say they think this is actually a call out. Like, I know your dad is Joseph, the carpenter. I know all the backstory and the, you know, the, the probable sin that you guys had where you slept together before marriage. Then you had to get married real quick. And, and uh, you supposedly, oh, it's the Holy Spirit, not you. And like, yeah, we've heard all of it. Like, maybe it was making fun of that piece. I don't think that's where it was going. I think they were legitimately saying, bring your father here. Let's see if you have two witnesses. I think that's all that's going on. This is a throwdown. Really? Where's your dad? He's not with you. What's going on? Where is this father you seriously speak of? Please know this. They are standing before the God of the universe. They are standing before the light of the world. They are standing before the king of kings and he is moving spiritually. And they are iced. This is a massive spiritual problem. They're challenging him rather than learning from him. They're missing it along the way. He says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He's like, yeah, you don't get it. Another quote I ran into this week, the deceptive power of willful unbelief. The deceptive power of willful unbelief, even talking to the God of the universe, you don't see it. Man, may we not be falling prey to the deceptive power of willful unbelief. He says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Just so we're super clear, the treasury, that's that same area where the menorah, the light of the world was being shown out, right? It's that same broad area. And the treasury is where people brought their tithes and it was a worship that came out. They showed up to give back to God and there was teaching that took place there. And in this case, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the light being beamed out and a thank you to God for who he is. And he's like, just so we're clear, you're showing up in this space to celebrate that God is with you, that God provides in the midst, that he's even provided the wealth in your hands and you're handing it over. And I am that God. And they're missing it along the way. It's sliding past them and they're barely getting it. It says, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Did they understand that he was calling down that he is the one to be hoped in? Yeah, they got it. And the statement is, look, they're trying to figure out how to arrest, but not cause a a major upheaval. They're trying to figure it out along the way. And so now wasn't the time for his arrest. Everybody just say, God has a plan. And God has a plan. And in the midst, we're called to trust in Jesus, to trust who he says he is. What does trust mean? I just wrote these words down. Confidence in the character, ability, and truth of someone. Trust. Confidence in the character, who they are. Ability, their power. And the truth, 
what they claim of someone. Trust, confidence in the character, ability, and truth of someone. Do you trust Jesus? Are you in? Do you have confidence in his character, in his perfection? Do you have confidence in his power and his ability? He speaks and this world is. He stands in the presence and he holds it together. He brings people who are hurting and all of a sudden the lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The dead are risen. Do you know this God? Are you in with the God of the universe? Do you trust in the light of the world? This is your savior. Man, our battle cry has to simply be, Lord, you are who you say you are. I'm in. You are what you claim to be. I believe. Do you believe? Do you trust? Are you following the light of the world, Jesus Christ? He is our hope. And all of God's people said, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? This is our call. And then point number three, last, believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Man. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Man. We're going to skip a few verses and go down to verse 28. What's happening in between there, there's some verses where Jesus is saying, look, just so you know, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. And Man, just so you know, you're going to be struggling with some things here if you don't get who I am. He's starting to deliver the reality of him. And actually, in the midst of it, they're like, why is he talking about going away? Is he taking his own life? Like, they're getting very confused about what he means and what he says. And then we pick it up in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, everybody say, that's Jesus. When you lifted him up, they all knew at that time that was a phrase that was used for crucifixion. When you crucify the Son of Man, just so you know, those words would have been horrifying. What are you talking about? The Son of Man, the one from Daniel, the prophet that we should be looking to, the one who's the answer? When you crucify the answered one, the hoped for one. When you crucify the Son of Man, when you crucify me, then you will know that I am He. He's like, just so we're clear, when you go to the crucifixion and the earthquake hits, when you go to the crucifixion and the darkness over the sky hits, when you go to the crucifixion in the midst of taking my life, you sense something different and supernatural happening. When the curtain is torn from top to bottom in the temple, when lives are all of a sudden coming back to life because of the work of the power of the Almighty God, you will know I am He. He just delivered a thunder statement. I am the light of the world. Are you ready to believe and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as my father has taught me. There are two witnesses. The law is satisfied and God is speaking in this world. He said, and he who sent me, everybody say that's God the father, is with me. Jesus is like, I am abiding with the father. 
We are walking through the hardest of times and we are pouring into each other's life. I am abiding with the Father. And he has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him and I am obeying the Father. Just so you know, the call from Jesus Christ for us to abide and ask and obey and love, it's the exact thing that he is doing as he is abiding in the Father and asking and trusting, obeying along the way and loving along the way. He's like, come with me, follow me. May God the Father pour into me, may I pour into you and may you be changed forever. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed. They heard the words and the blindfold was torn off. They heard the words and they were in awe of Jesus. They believed what he said about himself, that he is the true vine, that he is the true light of the world, that he is the Messiah come, that he is the son of man, that he is our hope. They believed. They believed what Jesus was promising to them, that he's bringing eternal life, zoe, and purity, and hope, and a change one degree of glory at a time. And now for us, believing as well that he is risen from the dead, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe in the light of the world? And be careful what vine you are attaching your branch to. Any other vine and you will fade. In due time it will fade. To Jesus Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And all of God's people said, Jesus, the light of the world. May we look to him, may we listen to him. May we truly worship him with all we've got. Let's pray.